0: This is IVP. If you're the kind of person who loves the stories behind the stories, check out the Every Voice Now podcast, which features the often unknown publishing journeys of authors of color. If you're a writer of color, or you care about writers of color, you'll be so inspired by these stories, and you'll appreciate the words written by these authors all the more. The Every Voice Now podcast is an InterVarsity Press production. Visit everyvoicenow.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, folks, welcome to the next installment of I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas. My name is Dr. Jamar Tisbe, and with me, as always, is the one, the only, the unrepeatable, the exceptional Dr. Nancy Wong Yoon. How are you?
2: Ready for Christmas. (laughs) That sounds
1: a little ominous. Are we getting into the Christmas horror film genre this episode? I don't know if that's a thing, but maybe it is. It is a thing.
2: It is a thing.
1: (laughs) Of course. Of course. Well, just to recap, if you are tuning in for the first time or need a quick reminder, we are looking at cultural representations of Christmas. We're talking about the Christmas industrial complex people. And we are analyzing that from a, a racial and ethnic and cultural lens episode one. We sort of introduced the idea of a Christmas industrial complex. What do all these Films and TV series, what are they communicating to us subtly about who belongs, who doesn't belong, what Christmas is truly about? And the second episode, we dived into the most popular genre of Christmas film, the Christmas rom com. So those were our first two episodes, and folks were not silent. We've actually heard back from some listeners about this I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas series. And I'll I'll be honest, (laughs) not all of it has been um, the most positive. So let me read you one, for example. Folks are reacting to the fact that we're we're bringing up race. And this one comes in, I think, on Instagram. And it says, I'm a black woman and I'm seriously tired of this. As many others have said, (laughs) meaning she's not the only one making this comment. Christmas is not about race slash color slash ethnicity. We are celebrating the birth of our Savior. Focus on that. Please stop with this worldly nonsense. Thank you for the comment. (laughs) All feedback is data. And I do want to remind folks that this whole series is an attempt to bring the focus back on Jesus and. This worldly nonsense is not us bringing up race or ethnicity, but us talking about how it's been portrayed in this very narrow way. And I also want to remind folks that we will be talking explicitly, much more explicitly about Jesus and about how to recenter and refocus Christmas in episode four. So stay tuned. Nancy, I wanna know what your thoughts on this are. This is another comment. Says, it's not Christmas yet, it's Advent. And the spirit of Advent is preparing the way for the Lord to come. We should all be examining our hearts and lives to determine where we have decided there isn't enough, quote, room for Jesus to come. Amen. That includes the ways in which culture that accompanies Christmas might actually work against us and exclude some when we intend it to include. The message of Christmas is that Christ is for everyone, but the way in which we express that message makes it hard for everyone to see themselves in the invitation. Dismantling that is truly pursuing the message of Christmas. Let's be humble and human and serve each other like the one who condescended his fame to become or be born a cultural nobody. So Nancy, any comments on the comments, uh, whether positive or negative, that that you've seen or read about?
2: Oh, goodness. I feel like we're talking about the culture of Christmas, and I, I get the sentiment of, you know, let's just focus on Jesus, but we can't ignore the fact that Christmas has been co-opted, really, by the idea of Santa, even the rom-com And what's unique about this podcast is that while we enjoy those things, we can critically examine them. And so we're, you know, we're not just doing kind of sermons in a church, you know, although this would be fun as a sermon, I think. I think that, you know, we're just talking about as someone, I'm a sociologist whose expertise is in pop culture. And I think it's very interesting to examine. Also, I think we need to admit how much of this cultural manifestation of Christmas has an impact on how we do Christmas as people of Mm, faith. mm. We can't ignore it because, I mean, how many people have Christmas trees who are Christians? I mean, Christmas trees are pagan. We absolutely are practicing things. And also if we're not critically examining like what is Christmas and what is not, and what is okay, what is not. I think then we're not really living in the world and being part of, this world in which we have to engage not just non-Christians, but other Christians and just talk about things that actually make up our faith, right? Our faith isn't ever completely pure because we're part of this world. And and this idea of what is Christian, what is not, I think that's what we're investigating and interrogating. And I think it's not so easy to parse out. I think that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah, this happens Every time you, we talk about the, the racial ethnic dimensions of something that is considered standard or ubiquitous, whatever it might be. And here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's just a bonus for our listeners because I think it's helpful. Racism and white supremacy thrive on invisibility. Not that it is actually invisible, but people try to make it invisible by not talking about it. This is partly what's behind the whole colorblind attempt of addressing racism. Definitely some good intentions on the part of some to to, judge people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. But you can't get there unless you talk about the reality of how someone's skin color or perceived race has affected and influenced the broader culture, in this case, Christmas. And that's all we're trying to do is just bring that to light. So, we appreciate the comments, keep them coming, even the critical comments. Not that anything we've said is can't be, you know, analyzed and discussed. We're both scholars, that's part of what we do. But just a reminder that not talking about race actually some of the negative biases and influences of racism. And so when we're trying to bring that to light, when we're trying to raise awareness about it, a it's not to make all of us scrooges and not enjoy Christmas or the movies that we're talking about. And B, it's not to say that Christmas is about anything less than Jesus. We're in fact trying to peel away some of the racial and cultural layers that make it harder for us to focus on what Christmas is actually about. So thanks again. Yeah,
2: and I think we're centering. Oh yeah, go and, for and it. And I think we're also, I think we're also centering ourselves as non-white i like i kind of took the title literally i'm dreaming of a not white christmas because i'm not white so it isn't um just to kind of i don't know critique kind of the dominant culture which we are doing but also hey saying there should be room for us you know we're we're part of uh god's kingdom and we are christians we are we celebrate christmas and Growing up, I never really saw myself reflected in anything that was associated with Christmas in terms of pop culture. And I think that we're just, you know, we're just looking at that and wanting to center people of color in this conversation, which is what we're going to be doing today.
1: That is <laughs> a perfect segue. And, and thank you. Like, this is about broadening the scope to include more people. So... You live an incredibly interesting life, Nancy. This is one of the reasons why I love talking to you. You've always got another cool story. And if you don't follow Nancy's Instagram feed or Twitter, you are missing out because she's always got something new. You actually have like a nightlife, which the older I get, the less (laughs) I have to do in the evening, which is partly good. But tell us about your, your fancy, glamorous Hollywood life. What have you been up to?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't think of myself because I'm still an outsider in the sense that I am a scholar of Hollywood. I wrote a book about, you know, racism in Hollywood called Real Inequality. And yeah, I've, I think somehow been able to, because of that book, actually, because, you know, people, Hollywood actually started to realize and recognize its racism and bigotry. And so, a lot of studios and um, streaming services really just open themselves up to learning more. And so somehow I have been able to write about Hollywood and even do film reviews. And so I'm let into these really cool parties, which I find as a sociologist, really interesting as an observer, but yes, they're fun. And I definitely am very thankful to be in those spaces. And the recent banquets that I've been in is a reflection of how there's more to celebrate because there's actually more inclusion mm. of people of color in various films and television shows that maybe you know they weren't part of before. I mean, there's still a lot of room to grow and we're not there yet, but the fact that uh, for the first time this year, the Critics' Choice awards had a banquet to celebrate and honor Asian and Pacific Islander just content and celebrating good content in film and television, which I mean, honestly, when I was growing up, there just weren't even any to even speak of. Right. And so now there's enough to actually say, "Hey, this is great. This is amazing. Like James Hahn, who has been working, gosh, since the 50s, 1950s, and he got a lifetime, you know, achievement award, or I, I think it was an icon award. And he's been he's been hustling for a very long time, and now finally, I think you know, in everything, everywhere at once, he actually is playing something that is really, really cool and complex. Whereas you know, when he was younger, I think he said in a in an interview that he was just like called Chinaman on Ooh. on set. That was Ooh. even though that wasn't his name, people other actors and, and the director, which is, that would be what they called him on set. Wow. And so it's like, you know, he's had like hundreds and hundreds of credits and now he's finally getting the acknowledgement that he deserves. So yeah, so I got to go to that. I got to go to an equivalent one that celebrated black excellence. I also, what's really cool in relation to this particular miniseries is that I got to actually... Preview one of the movies that we'll be talking about today, A Hollywood Christmas, which stars Jessica Van, who is um, Asian American. And I got to see it on the Warner Brothers set. And the movie itself is about making a Hollywood Christmas movie. On the same set. Oh, so it was wow. so meta. I got to see the set and they they dressed it up for Christmas. And then I watched the movie and it was the same set that they dressed up for Christmas. That's gotta be bizarre. And so it was it was I had never had that experience before. I was that was probably the most fun Christmas thing that I had done in a really long time. They also had like like hot chocolate stations with like cake pops Ooh. and marshmallow, Ooh. homemade marshmallows. It was fancy and a pizza truck and, and just everything was, you know, decorated and everyone was dressed up. It felt, it felt very meta. And um, Winston Duke was there oh. <laughs> from Black Panther. What? The Winston Duke. <laughs> I was way too shy. I was way too shy to go up to him, no. but I think he was friend of Jessica's. He was just like, like a few steps away. And I was no like, do, do I have the nerve to talk to him? And I didn't. The guy. Oh, my goodness. I, I just couldn't. I was like, no, let's just make it a party and not be like, you know, fangirling See, him.
1: this so. is what I'm talking about. This glamorous Hollywood life you live That's so cool. And I'm glad that, that at least we get to have a glimpse into somebody who has an actual nightlife. And so let's talk about it. Let's dive in. Christmas in color. So when we actually have people of color on screen. But- There's good ways to do that, and there's less good ways to do that, right? I I think we will trip ourselves up if we think that diversity or representation is mainly about the aesthetic, the visual. Like, do you actually have people of color on screen? Yes, thumbs up, check that box, good to go. We can proceed with business as usual. But that's really only just the beginning, right? So first, let's talk about... Christmas movies or an example of a Christmas movie where the representation is present aesthetically, but maybe there are some ways that it could have been done better. And so you were just at this sort of like red carpet grand opening event for a Hollywood Christmas. What did you think of the movie in terms of representation? First of all, what was the movie about? Who are the stars? And then talk about what you thought about its representation in terms of race and ethnicity and culture.
2: Yeah, so Hollywood Christmas is one of the, I think might be one of the first or initial offerings of Christmas movies by HBO Max. (laughs) So they did a trio of movies this year, and this is one of them. And it stars an Asian American woman, Jessica Van. It doesn't really talk about her race or ethnicity or anybody's race and ethnicity. It's completely just about, I think. So the movie's about a director who makes a Christmas movie, and then a, a executive comes in and says, we're just gonna, you know, dismantle the Christmas uh, movie section of our studio. And then so the tension is, you know, she's going to convince him that Christmas movies are worth investing in. And then he changes and then they fall in love. And what's really cool, though, and he and he's a white man. And so what's really cool, though, is that the whole time they're talking about what makes a Christmas movie. So it's very meta. And actually, the co stars or, you know, this kind of supporting cast are people of color as well. And some white folks as well. So it's very, it's pretty diverse in terms of visual. Like what you said, Box are che- boxes are all checked off. Like every single group I think is pretty much represented. Um, and it's a very enjoyable movie. So we've talked about, you know, we yes. love these movies even as we critique them. And it's it's actually one of my most favorite mm. enjoyable ones, you know, it's really, because I, I love meta movies that actually examine itself because Christmas movies, it can't be so corny. And it's, I was actually kind of making fun of mm. it tongue in cheek. And yet I don't, And, you know, there was one point where she brings up a picture of her grandmother and she talks about Grandma Pearl and that's where her love for Christmas movies came from. But they never talked about maybe her immigrant background or not or ethnicity, nothing. Right. It was Mm. just kind of like a photo. And so not to say that every Christmas movie that features people of color has to talk about race. This is kind of like what we're talking about in terms of people's (laughs) critique of our miniseries, right? But I think that when you have none, then that says something, right? Because then it's like, well, the writers just wrote uh, basically a white Christmas movie and decided to cast people of color and not talk about where they come from or anything that's specific about them. Which, you know, I, I don't talk about being Asian all the time, but... I do eat Asian food, you know and and I, since I'm an immigrant, once in a while, I do talk about you know my my where I came from, and once in a while, I code switch to Mandarin. and so it it happens organically in my life, and I think I've wanted to see that on screen
1: mhm exactly the 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 organic representation part i th- I think is a is a big deal. And one of the things that you said. I think really highlights the issue about how not to do diversity, which is that you've taken this sort of formulaic story, which what we're arguing is often very white centered, often very middle class, often very gendered. You've taken the same story and all you've done is inserted someone from a different racial or ethnic background, but it doesn't actually affect the story. So so now you have characters of different races and ethnicities still promoting sort of the same culture around Christmas. So the question is, what difference does their race or ethnicity make in the writing, in the storytelling? And if it's none, then we have to ask ourselves, is this really just an attempt at aesthetic and visual diversity? Or can we move it Something closer to, to to something more of substance, which, as you said, doesn't have to be in your face, doesn't have to be preachy, right? But if they're having dinner, can it be Asian- food you know homemade that would be representative of somebody's actual experience does it does it crop up organically within the story that can, it can be that or it can be more overt and i think in order to get to those more organic representations where it's just like there and in the background and assumed but present and authentic we also do need to have some that kind of more explicitly Deal with race and ethnicity, so there. I think there's a a movement or a spectrum or 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 a momentum, right? And all of this argues for more racial and ethnic diversity in the storytelling, in the directing, in the casting at all levels of movies. So we've kind of talked about a non example, and uh, again, still an enjoyable one, but there's there's ways that it could improve. If we wanna do representation well, how do you think that happens, right? What What, what do you think are the characteristics of, of representations done well in storytelling?
2: Well, like you said, I think having people behind the camera telling mm. the story, right? the writers, the director. So there isn't one story that represents all Asian, all black, all Latina, you know, experiences. So we certainly are still at a point where we can count on maybe two hands, all the people of color movies coming out in one year. And so it's not fair to say like, okay, well, this one, this is the one that represents all right. Asians as well. And that's out of but like
1: 40 movies. Every, that's year right. That 40 movies out. Yeah. just
2: out of Hallmark, right? I think it's probably, oh <laughs> I would say, you know, closer, closer to 75. If we count all of the channels together.
1: Goodness gracious.
2: Yeah, because Lifetime's got them, B E T even and uh and HBO Max, yeah. right? Netflix, of course. And so, yeah, so if we combine all of them, there's still just, you know, a handful. And so I think we are, you know, so you got to take what we say about the movies that have come out with, you know, a grain of salt because this is still a very limited offering. Mm. But I think that what's interesting this year on Netflix, there's a movie called Christmas with You and it centers on the Latine – Experience and stars Freddie Prince Jr., who has not been known to be Latino, I think, by majority. I mean, he's in uh, one of my favorite movies growing up. She's all that as the hot jock.
1: Such a fun movie, (laughs) so
2: good, right? So he's like basically the white male jock, right? And he is mixed, um, but I think the actor himself, uh, and he was in the Scooby Doo series Mm -hmm. as as Fred, right? Who is like I think in the cartoon blonde. And he dyed his hair blonde for the for the role. Yep. So definitely has played white in his life. But he in an interview for this movie said that like he's always wanted to play more Latino. And this is actually, he said that. This this is just shock, shockingly, that this is the first Latino character he's ever been offered um, to play, an actual Latino. Because he says he's played roles where they change the name afterwards, which is kind of like what we've been talking about. You know, Christmas movies where they're just just slotting in someone, Mm -hmm. and then they make it quote-unquote ethnic by just changing the name. Mm. And he says that doesn't count, right? And so he said he's been been waiting for this role since he was 18 years old. And he is, I think he must be in his 50s now, right? Yeah, I think so.
1: We're talking about decades. Yeah, and
2: so- Yes, yes, and so um, even though he grew up, he says surrounded by Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, he says he cooks better than <laughs> the most people. I saw and, that clip. and so yeah. he feels he's very proud. He's very proud of his heritage, but he has not been able to express it. And so this do you movie know, did definitely. He change his name?
1: I mean, a lot of actors do that, so it's not a knock. But I don't know if he so is. So
2: his father is Freddie Prinze Senior. Oh, okay. and he was an actor in the seventies. Chico and the Man, I think was the name of the um, the series. And so his father is Latino. And I believe, I'm guessing that he probably changed Mm -hmm, his name, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so, and as his son, he just took the name, you know. And so, and that's one um, of those things. It's like Martin Sheen. Yeah. Martin Sheen has, you know, it's like, and then Charlie Sheen. I know this is a su- super old school for all our I, I know gen exactly X-ers. where you're going. I know what you're talking yeah, about. But, yeah, but but Emilio Estevez is also his son, and Emilio and Estevez was his original yeah. name. I think he's not he's not Latino. I think he's Spanish. So like you know, so I think Freddie Prince Jr. just took the, right, the equivalent right. of Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen, and that's just one of those. This is this is not proven, but I, this is my theory, right, based on the fact that his father was a famous actor, right? So. Yeah. So he has not been able to play a Latino role. And if you watch this movie, it isn't like, oh, my gosh, we're talking about race, race, race. But it is an all um, pretty much all Latine cast. And the director is a Latina. And so there's definitely a lot of authentic, there's foods that they make, t- they wrap tamales together and, and she's, you know, she's a singer who sings in Spanish and there, and there, there's a quinceanera that, that is, yeah. you know, the center of the story. So actually there's a lot of cultural specificity and code switching and I just loved it
1: it It, yeah, so this was a really interesting movie again called Christmas with You. It's available on Netflix now. It's the story of this really famous singer who's sort of lost her mojo, she's lost her inspiration, and she sees this one of one of her fans do. A cover of, of her song. It's a teenager who's about to have her quinceanera, which is a celebration of a young lady turning 15 in Latino culture. And so she's like, you know what, I need to reconnect with my fans. And so like connects with this daughter. And of course, her father's single. And part of her, this mega famous singer regaining her inspiration is connecting back to her roots, which is all about connecting back to how she grew up as a young latina and so going into this family without all the glitz and the glamour and reconnecting not just with family and people but with some of the traditions that come out of her own culture that she just you know lost focus on as she became a star and so in that way being being actually people of Latino or Latina descent was actually integral to the story. And it made a difference in the story more than just slotting in a character who happened to look different or speak a little differently or uh, whatever that might be. So I did find it it was one of those things where I, I feel like I actually learned more about the cultures being portrayed and in a positive way. So that was a really... Interesting Christmas movie because it was so atypical in the way that it approached race and ethnicity and culture.
2: But it was still a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> Very much it was so. romance. Very and so. Freddie Prince Jr. still has it. I'll just tell y'all, <laughs> he still has it. He's so much older. He's definitely silver foxy now. But um, he still has it. He's so charming. So I think it it fulfills the Christmas rom-com um. <laughs> You know, the the all the all the check marks of what what makes a Christmas rom com, it's all there, but more, right? It has the cultural authenticity and it's rooted in that. Like you said, learning about what a king say looks like, you know, like the fact that there's a performance and the talking about the dress. And and I think, and there's, you know, there's some dramatic elements, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, both the the main singer had lost her mom as well as the young girl, hence the, you know, the single dad okay. and her getting together. And music, I think it, it oh, yeah, fills yeah, yeah, yeah. that part. That's like, a good the one. Christmas music, right? There's an original song that is going to be written by Freddie Prince Jr., who plays a music teacher. I just, I, I remember everything about this movie. Which <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which means that I really, really love it. Right. That's right. Um, can we talk about the rom-com dad? This is sort of an aside, but it's something I noticed again and again and again. If a guy in these movies is single, he's almost always a widower. Like, Like, either he's never been married and he's just like the most eligible bachelor kind of thing, or there's some tragic, sad story about him losing his wife. she's she's dead. What is I that think about?
2: This is I think it's actually a consumer. Um, they're just trying to get kids to watch these. Mm. And when you have a widow or dad, you have a kid who's mm. cast in, you know, so Great then point. the kid can be related to by other children watching it. So I think it actually is just a kind of reaching the audience or expanding the audience beyond just, you know, women of a certain demographic <laughs> wanting to watch rom-coms, but also, right, moms can watch with their kids and yeah. the kids can relate. So I think it's actually not any kind of – it's just it's just a business decision. Um, that makes that's sense. My, that's my theory. That Sorry, this is my, my sociological right. uh, theory. But it does – I mean, it makes it – it also, of course, makes the – the lead woman who comes into this family, you see her a, a kind of a maternal figure, right? So she's, I think, fits into this really traditional idea, right. right? She's she's not just a woman who's out to look for a man, but she's also good with kids and a family person, yeah, right? Yeah. And the missing and piece of in times, their family, yeah. Well, this is the whole traditional idea because a lot of times they're working women, mm-hmm. right? So then it kind of brings them back to the family, nuclear family structure. And so yep. now that I say that <laughs> it's you know it's it's definitely a more traditional take on what a leading woman in a Christmas movie should be.
0: Have you heard about the new monthly book club from University Press? IVP Bookdrop is the perfect club for readers who want to grow spiritually, hear from diverse voices, and start powerful conversations on today's most important cultural topics. Plus, it's only 9 dollars each month. When you join IVP Bookdrop, you'll receive our best-selling title, Reading While Black, by Issa Macaulay, as your very first book. And after that, you'll continue to receive one curated book a month for just 9 dollars as a listener of the Disruptors podcast, you already know many of the diverse authors featured like Esau Macaulay, and you'll meet even more authors like them each month. IVP Book Drop is the easiest and most affordable way to receive the latest IVP books from your favorite authors. To learn more and join today for only $9.99, visit ivpress.com slash disrupt22. That's ivpress.com slash disrupt D I S R U P T 22. Save big on books worth talking about by signing up for IVP Book Drop today.
1: Right. And I also think I, there's something about making the man approachable and desirable. Like if he's a divorcee, you'd wonder. Well, what did he do wrong, right? Or, or sort of any like, like he's a he becomes a very sympathetic character then. If he had a good, healthy, happy marriage, and the only reason it's over is because "till death do us part" kind of a thing. That means there's something good and wholesome about him that the audience can latch onto and really want him to win. So it, it, it creates a desire for him. To end up with someone and to 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 have that feeling of love again, whereas if it had been some other situation, just like irreconcilable differences, well then he's not as sympathetic a character, and maybe there's something wrong with him. Should she really be with him? Kind of a thing. It's just always really interesting to me the setup. Uh, yeah, and that's <laughs> very guy, again
2: traditional, right? And I feel like that. Very much so. That that idea, I've heard a lot of friends who are divorcees at churches feeling very ostracized, right? Mm. So this kind of like idea that you can only be thought of as, you know, a quote unquote good Christian or good Christmas movie <laughs> character uh, is that you have to fit into the traditional idea no, that's a of, really good point. of how life, you know, how to do life because you can't make, you can't like, you know, have like dysfunctionality at all, right? Dysfunctionality doesn't belong in Christmas movies. Does dysfunctionality, is that accepted in churches? And I think that's something we definitely have to critique and dismantle because if we're only putting up certain things as ideals and happiness can only look a certain way, that is not, that's not God's kingdom.
1: And thank you for flagging that. There's been so much pain caused by this really narrow conception of, um, what what many Christians put forth is like the only healthy way to to live, and just just acknowledging and making space for the sense of being excluded or looked down upon for you know whatever reasons that that you're having difficulty in a relationship. That's very real, and um, it shouldn't be so in the church, like like you just said. So thank you for for bringing that up. As we talk more about Christmas in color, you mentioned before these awards that, that now we finally have a critical mass of movies led and centered around Asian characters. We're actually now starting to see more and more Christmas movies that are led and centered around Asian people and culture. So are there one or two films that you want to point out this season that, that have an Asian-centered story.
2: One or two films are basically, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. So, <laughs> I wish I could say one or two of the best of the best right. out of a hundred, but no, we have two. We're getting there. Let's move <laughs> Besides, forward. Besides, uh, you know, a Hollywood Christmas. But these two are interesting because they have multi-generational, right? That there's families. And so I think that that is cool. If we're talking about good representation is that we're seeing – The family unit, you know, because if we think about Christmas, again, everything we just talked about, the traditional family unit and maybe sometimes multigenerational, that having Asian Americans fit into that mold, even if, even as we're deconstructing, you know, how useful is that mold to be inclusive? but. The fact that Asian-Americans didn't even like belong in that. We were always like side characters. Like we talked about, you know, the the, the one where the, the Asian-American s- servers are like, you know, singing. And so like that's where Asian-Americans lived in Christmas movies. But now we have Hallmark actually has two offerings this year, uh, Golden Dragon and A Big Fat Family Christmas. And so these are, you know, these are family movies. And, and I think that they are showing more, they're expanding Asian Americans, but uh, although both are, I think, Chinese Americans, so it's still kind of like it doesn't represent the full gambit and diversity of all those who are in the Asian community. But the golden dragon is kind of a racial utopia movie, I think Uh. because there's so many different families, one of which is actually a divorced Father. And so, and one, another family who's white, and another family who's white. It's a mother and daughter adult. lost their dad. And then we have, of course, the uh, Chinese American family who owns the restaurant, which is kind of like a community center, really, essentially that where everybody comes and they have a Latino delivery worker who is brilliant, but needs money to go to, I think, an Ivy League. And so there's lots of these different stories. And there's a daughter, Chinese daughter, Chinese American daughter and son, and they both have their own romantic storylines. And so it's very complex, actually. I don't think it's actually your typical Christmas movie because there's so many stories. Maybe more like Love Actually mm-hmm. meets Hallmark.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> a not as discussion. like,
2: uh, yeah, not as it's it's like the G rated. <laughs> Version of love actually, um, and maybe a little bit lower budget, right? And so, what I found interesting though is that yeah, that it's it it ends with this very utopic, multiracial, harmonious mm. Christmas theme, which also I think is slightly different. Sure, the romantic relationships pan out for the two Asian American leads. And, but then they, they really end on a note of everyone coming together because, oh, because the parents actually were selling the restaurant, but they, the kids wanted to come and have one last Christmas. And they invited all these people who had, were patrons and essentially part of their extended quote unquote family. And they came to work on Christmas day and they all come together and really have this moment of celebrating Christmas together. So that was lovely. And
1: with these racial utopia movies. Like you described this one, is there any sort of racial conflict they have to overcome to get to this utopia, or does it just happen when they come together?
2: No, there's no conflict at that <laughs> level. It really is. I mean, the only there's one conflict, and this is the part of the movie that I actually took some issue with. There was one conflict where the daughter is actually visiting her boyfriend slash fiance's family. And in another part of, you know, I think Vermont or something, and they go to a Chinese restaurant and the Chinese workers at the restaurant were actually speaking in, I think some, I I don't know if it was Mandarin Cantonese, but they were saying that they were annoyed or something by the family. And she actually code switches to that language and, and then says, you know, this is my, my boyfriend's family. Don't, you know, don't. Of, like, don't insult them, or she defends them in some way. And I just thought, wow, you know, if she was really someone who had worked at her family's restaurant every Christmas, shouldn't she be empathizing with these people, you know, who are working and who are just maybe tired of, you know, of serving everyone else on Christmas? So I thought that was a little bit inauthentic. That was the only kind of Kind of racial because, right, it was kind of like, don't don't be biased against my white,
0: yeah. <laughs> white
2: uh, fiancé and his family. And I thought that was really, to me, that took me a little bit out of the movie mm. thinking that I wouldn't have written it that way. Mm-hmm. That was what I thought.
1: I am wondering, in your estimation, I'm, I mean, obviously this is going to be a number of things, but what makes it so hard to write these stories well? I mean— shouldn't, (laughs) given all the books, all the knowledge, all the conversation Mm -hmm. and dialogue that we've had around race and ethnicity in the broader culture at large, shouldn't we be better at portraying this on screen? Why does it continue to be a stumbling block in so many films, do you think?
2: Well, I should be fair. I don't know if it was written that way because Hallmark itself has an image, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about the traditional family, the idea of what makes a Christmas movie. I mean, Hallmark is putting out, what, almost 40 movies or something a year, but they have a formula. And they also, I think, most of the time want to keep it wholesome. And that often translates to we're not going to talk about inequality, right? We're not going to talk about racism head on in a way that's actually depicting it because that's not what people are tuning in for, right, right. in their mind. And so I think that- It's possible that it wasn't written that way by the Asian American writer, Mm. but Hallmark might have, you know, maybe they say, okay, we're not, we can't have, you know, actual Depictions of this, we're going to make it this way, and this is how it's going to be. So, That's a good point. It, when you think about Hollywood, it isn't just director, writer, screen, mm-hmm. right? There are studio heads, there's producers, there are the actors. I mean, there's so many players in, I mean, actors don't usually have a lot of, uh, because they're at the end, right? They just kind of have to say the lines. But sometimes, you know, I, I in my interview with actors of color, sometimes they actually do ask if they feel like it's too racist, they actually do ask. And sometimes are you know stand up and challenge. But this is so just know that there's a lot of people who are in this art world. Um, and so the final product is is a result of a lot of things. But a lot of it is who has the power to tell what story.
1: Oh, say that again. Who has the power to tell what story? That's what we're talking about, and that's why we make the case there should be representation at all levels, right? Because who has the power to tell the story isn't just the director, isn't just the writer. It's everyone who has input on it. And the more representation we have across the board, aware representation, right? Because, again, we don't just want visual. We want people who actually understand these dynamics well. And the, the more representation we have at all levels, the better quality films will get across the board. So that's a really great point. So that was one film centered on Asian American family and characters. But there's another one that Nancy, you and I got to screen. I'm actually really eager to talk about it with you because I don't think we've had the chance yet. And this is called A Big Fat Family Christmas. I'm trying to think of how to summarize it. It's kind of a convoluted story. Uh, The main character is an Asian American woman. This is in San Francisco. She's a she's a a photographer for a newspaper. And this new reporter comes in and he gets his first big story that might end up being a cover story. And they want it to be sort of human-centered, feel good because it's Christmas time. And so they land on this family that has thrown a neighborhood Christmas party for years and years and years. And they want to explore the story. But plot twist the photographer is in the family. This is her family.
2: And I think what's interesting, she doesn't want them to know. This is me perhaps reading the subtext, so you can tell me if it's if I, if you felt this too. But I, she says that she didn't want any favoritism because, right, it's about her family. But I think she's also a little bit denying her culture. And, you know, she has an Instagram account, and she doesn't even say that she is her last name, which is Chang. And throughout the movie, they talk about a Chang-tastic Christmas party, right? And she doesn't want to be known as a Chang. And I I felt like, oh, this was a, a commentary on how maybe there are some Asian Americans who feel like due to racism, due to, you know trauma in the past. They don't want to actually talk about their race as much, but really talking about racism and trauma and how that kind of makes us deny who we are. And then this movie, as it progresses, there's, yes, there's romantic love, but most importantly, I think a love of self is reclaimed. Mm. And I thought that theme was a much deeper theme than most Christmas movies I've seen.
1: Mm -hmm. I really thought, it was going to go that direction. So, so we, we, we know from the beginning that she doesn't want her editors and this other journalist to know that she's part of this Chang-tastic Christmas. And I, I agree. That's what, what you said is what I thought was happening, which was she wanted to sort of downplay her Chinese identity in order to make it in the business world, achieve more success, have more opportunities, those kinds of things. But the way they wrote it or the way it ended up being written in the film after everybody got their hands in it was she just didn't want to seem like she was playing off of her family to get this big story. So she wanted to sort of make it on her own, make her own name kind of a thing when it feels like it would have been much more true to life that She was concerned about how being portrayed uh, or or, or presenting herself as fully, you know, who she was would actually perhaps hamper her professional opportunities. But that's not the way it ended up. And again, to your point.
2: Oh, I thought it did end up that way, Jamar. Okay, so this is going to be spoiler alert now. Spoiler alert if you haven't (laughs) seen the movie. But you know how she reveals that she stopped going or enjoying the party or singing at the party singing, because yes. of, of something racist that happened to her. Right. So is that not that's how I interpreted as, oh, it really was ultimately racism that made her not embrace her family and not embrace the event because she was she's saying and someone recorded her at school and sent it around right. and people started making fun of her singing in Chinese. And so at That's the a end great point. she yeah. reclaims it and actually sings in Chinese, uh in Cantonese. And, and then the she full yeah, dress, and then she yes. yeah, yeah, and the full dress and her and she in that way she is. And then there was also this part where her parents come over unannounced to her apartment at the very, very end, and she's like, earlier she was mad at her mom, but this time she was happy. So I felt like I felt like that was a story. That that was my it interpretation.
1: It was there, it was there. I viewed it as two separate but related things. So on the one hand, why she didn't tell her editor up front that it was her family throwing the Christmas party, the way I remember the film explained it was, professionally, she didn't want to play off of that to get this big story. But the much deeper story, which you've pointed out, is a reclaiming of her ethnic heritage and her family's heritage and her identity. But the way I thought of that part was that reclaiming was how she came to enjoy Christmas again. So she is she was a bit of a Scrooge throughout the movie, not super high up on Christmas or at least this Christmas family event. And then it goes back to this racist event that she experienced as a as a kid. But in order to reclaim the joy of Christmas, she had to reclaim that aspect of her identity and upbringing. So I think in my mind, I was viewing it as as, again, two separate but related issues. One, the professional aspect and why she didn't tell them this was her family. And two, how she sort of regain the spirit of Christmas and the joy of the holiday season being all wrapped up in that these identity questions and, and recovering that from her family. So I don't know. Uh but yeah, I mean, she said that it wrong. that
2: way and I always thought it was like her she was pretending or fooling herself. And then at the end she also records her Instagram and uses her full name, yeah. which I thought was a example of I'm finally gonna let the world see me professionally and see me for who I am fully as, you know, chain, part of the chain family. So that was my, but it was subtle. And I think that that is actually good because it's not in your face. And the fact that we can both see different aspects, but overall definitely this kind of reclaiming of, culture and this melding there's a lot of fusion of asian and christmas which i appreciated mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so it went so that was already like oh yay they're doing that like mapo like i think it was like tofu mixed with like nutmeg or something <laughs> just really interesting <laughs> kind of uh, ideas and oh and tia carrera Right. You, I think yes. you, you, you noticed that Tia Carrera was in here, right? Yeah. Um, and she played the mom and they actually even mentioned that. She, uh, I think she hung up something that was culturally Filipino and the, the journalist's uh, love interest pointed it out. And I think, you know, and he's from South Africa and they pointed out his accent and they mentioned, I think Singapore or Indonesia. I just, I felt like there yeah, were it was all over. Yeah. There was more. So I think oh, I said, it was mostly East Asian, but I forgot TF. Kara, actually her character is mixed Filipina and Chinese. So there is a a kind of widening of you know of Asian representation in this movie as well.
1: That's right. And and I have to say, I feel like I learned a lot. Again, subtle, right? It it is pretty central to the story, but it's I didn't I didn't think it felt really preachy. There was the father who was constantly experimenting with new recipes where he was trying to take like traditional, quote unquote traditional American, white American foods and infuse them with ingredients that 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 he was used to eating growing up. And some of them work and some of them does. It becomes kind of this ongoing joke, but it was it was really powerful, if you think about it, about how, how do you blend cultures, even culinary cultures, right? Hmm. And then as you mentioned, Tia Carrera, this is this is an aside I thought of. <laughs> hmm. Hallmark movies, and I would say Christmas movies in general, are almost a way for actors to reinvent themselves in their careers. Hmm. Um, Tia Carrera, when she became a movie star was for a very different genre of films <laughs> than like a Hallmark style christmas movie or a christmas rom-com, right? She I first knew of her in uh the movie Wayne's World in the 1990s based off of a Saturday Night Live skit and she was like the sexy love interest, right? And I think she she sort of made her career being that. I think she even um you know did some 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 nude photos and and things of that which is you know f- fine for people to do if that's what they want but it's just really different than the image portrayed by uh these Christmas rom-coms in general but there are actors I think who who can sort of get a a, a second wind or a third wind in their career by pivoting to these, Christmas movie kind of roles and in in, in, in in which are portrayed as quote unquote wholesome, much more wholesome, whatever that means. But it, it it gives them a chance to almost reinvent themselves. So that was just an interesting way of portraying this this person who had made a career in a very different genre of films that would, in terms of the morality portrayed by these films seem to be at cross purposes, but I guess if enough time has passed and you do it right, it, it, it can act as another sort of wave in, in, in an actor's career.
2: And I also think that there are barriers for older women to kind of be sexy mm-hmm. anymore. Speak it's like you're either, it. you're either the daughter, the girlfriend or the mom and grandma, right? This is kind yeah. of the, the very narrow, um, cause I think that she actually is still sexy in this movie. because she really has that (laughs) sex appeal. But, of course, it's Hallmark, so it's still very kind of GPG rated. But one thing I wanted to add about this movie is that the main actor, she actually goes to church in one part of the film, and it's the neighborhood church, and she actually talks about and reflects upon her her you know the tensions and the conflict she's experiencing and then the song that she sings is actually oh holy night in Cantonese mm. and i have to say mm. that when i heard her singing it definitely was something spiritual because I love yeah. that song and yeah. hearing it. And, and I guess some people have said it's not authentic Cantonese, but just, you know, in another language that is Absolutely. closer to the language I grew up with, you know. Um, I mean, I grew up with English as well, but, you know, an, the language that of, of the place I was born, right? Yeah, having that blend. So we talked about blending of food, but also blending of, hey, you know, Chris. Christmas Christian songs can be sung in other languages and be beautiful and, and be understood, you know, by, by God, right. And as yeah, a praise song. Yeah. And I just thought it was lovely. And it's also one of the rare, I think movies where there is a church, it's a rom-com, mm-hmm. right. It's traditional rom-com, but there's a church and there's a community because it really is the, the, the kind of story is about giving back to the community and collecting, money and red envelopes from the Chinatown community in order to kind of give back to folks who, I, I can't remember who, who who was the destination, but it was definitely some organization or, or maybe kids, you know, who needed mm-hmm. it in the neighborhood. It, it felt like, a, again, a little bit more elevated than just your what will they or won't they kind of story.
1: That's right. That's right. I have to say this too. When I was watching the film and the editor, who's like the big boss, right? I was like, that guy looks familiar. Where have I seen him before? (laughs) It turns out the editor of the paper is the same older white man in this movie who plays the wealthy father of Lindsay Lohan's character in her Christmas movie, which we
2: talked about. That also came out this year. Yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So it's literally the same actor playing the same role like the white guy (laughs) in charge uh it's it's uh jack wagner powerful white
2: man yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. definitely
1: and he's literally the same actor playing the same role in the same genre of movie in two different movies which was hilarious to me because it sort of illustrates the narrowness of conception of a lot of these characters and roles when it comes down to it.
2: And also I think there's some typecasting or maybe it's not typecasting in the sense that like it's a bad thing. Maybe these are, you know, they're seeing these as opportunities, right? Because they're now able to work in this genre because there's a lot of Christmas movies coming out. Because when I was watching A Hollywood Christmas, the main guy looks really familiar and he's in these, I think uh, I can't remember the names of it, but it was he's in two Christmas movies that I saw in the hmm. last few years in Netflix. Okay, right, so he's become the Christmas romantic lead in um, Christmas movies. It's a thing. So it's, you
1: can make a good living. It's a thing. It's,
2: it's a thing. But I haven't seen. I mean, there's been uh, there's actually one. I think Asian Canadian actor that that has been in multiple Christmas movies, but in general. You don't, you know, I, it's mostly like, like, think about Candace Cameron, Candace, Bur, Bur, what is her name? Candace, Candace Cameron, Cameron
1: Bure. Bur. Yep.
2: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she's been in so many movies that now she can actually just run an entire Th- That's <laughs> what she's doing. She, she, she really knows the genre, yes, right? So yes. And there's just so many actors, I think, that have become synonymous with Christmas movies. But it'd be interesting if we have like actors of color actually f- filling that role, right?
1: That's right. That's right. And so- We've talked about this. This is interesting now, right? Have have we I, I hope folks listening to this get a get a sense that Christmas doesn't just have to portray these white people characters telling essentially stories that ha- make no commentary about racial and ethnic diversity we've talked about some films in this episode we haven't even gotten to the the black christmas movies of which there are some which are really fun but I-, I love this line from a big fat family christmas which we were just talking about and it was it was so appropriate for this podcast that i wrote it down it was toward the end when she kind of synthesizes her identity as Chinese and American. And she said, that's what being Chinese American is. It's the best of both worlds. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of I'm Dreaming of a Not-White Christmas. Make sure you join us for the last episode, episode four, as we talk about Jesus and the reason for the season. We'll catch you next time.
0: Bye.